WNYC Studios is supported by Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latte from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. This is All of It on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. George Clooney has directed Ben Affleck in the film adaptation of journalist J.R. Moringer's memoir, The Dunderbar. That is not a sentence J.R. could have imagined 40 years ago when he was a kid in Manhasset, Long Island, the child of a working-class single mom being raised by her and an extended group of chosen family, many of whom were regulars at his favorite uncle's bar. His biological father was only present as a voice on the radio, as in literally a disc jockey on the radio. Moringer's memoir, The Tender Bar, was a huge hit. It told his coming-of-age story about growing up and working his way past the velvet ropes of our country's elite institutions. He went to Yale on scholarship, landed gigs at the Times, New York and L.A., and won a Pulitzer in 2000. The Tender Bar is now a film directed by Clooney and starring Ben Affleck as Uncle Charlie. Like the book, the film jumps back and forth between young J.R., played by Daniel Ranieri, and the still young but now college J.R., played by Ty Sheridan. Let's listen to a scene in the film where Uncle Charlie lectures a young J.R., on what it takes to be a writer. I know a lot of guys that think they're writers, and you'll find in life that most of them are not. Here's the thing. You gotta have it. I don't know what it is, but if you don't have it immediately, you never get it. And I say you got it. Oh. I knew it. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. There's, there's, there's something. Calm down. I didn't say you were good. I said, you know, you could be. J.R. Moringer joins us now. Hi, J.R. Hi. So where were you in your life and career when you took on writing The Tender Bar? Uh, I was at the uh, L.A. Times, mm -hmm. and I did a, a Neiman Fellowship at Harvard, a wonderful thing where you can go to Harvard for a year and just kind of reset as a journalist and started thinking about uh, writing a memoir and uh, did a tutorial with a, a brilliant guy at Harvard, John Stauffer, who was an expert on American memoir. He would give me a few memoirs to read every week and we would sit in his office and talk about um, why they worked or, or why they didn't. And he helped me think through um, what I wanted to say and, and, and even whether or not I wanted to say it. Um, and by the end of my Neiman Fellowship, when I went back full-time to the LA Times, I was, I was kind of underway. Did you approach it as a, a capital J journalist or more like a storyteller? I approached it as a capital J journalist. I really wanted to write um, a factual memoir. At, at that time, there were uh, a number of memoirs that were um, kind of scandals because they proved to be completely made up. And mm -hmm. you know, people were rightly offended um, that they 
read this story that they believed to be true, and, and it turned out it was all a lie. And um, so, uh, you know, that was that was kind of in the culture at the time. Um, and I, uh, but I also as a journalist, you know, um, I I like true stories. I mean, I love novels. I mean, fiction is my first love. But mm-hmm. as a working journalist, I really love the power of you know creative nonfiction. And so I I really I, I set about interviewing everybody. I knew growing up, uh, beginning and ending with my mother, and and wanted to write a, a very thoroughly researched, fact-based uh, memoir. When you interviewed your mother, what is something that you realized that she had done or that she had said to you or an atmosphere she had created for you that really led to you becoming a writer? Well, I mean, there were so many things, but... Um, you know, she was uh, she was a brilliant um, wordsmith and an incisive editor. And um, so, when I talked to her about something I was working on in school, um, hmm. I, I had the benefit of you know this her her gift um, for a long time before I realized it was a gift. You know, I think for a long time I just thought all moms were like that. Um, and then when I started interviewing her. Uh, for the book, I really fully uh, came to understand um, how lucky I'd been, how lucky I was, um, how prodigious her memory was. Um, and I, I really, I, I also came to terms with um, what a razor's edge we'd lived on uh, mm-hmm. financially, emotionally, psychologically. You know, a single mom in the in the 70s, um, the resources were, were few. Um, there were it seemed like there were fewer single moms. You know, there were certainly fewer stories in the culture about single moms. Mm-hmm. Um, we felt very alone. We felt very isolated. And she just kept it. She kept it going. She kept it rolling forward. And I think when I interviewed her, I, I realized um, just uh, how miraculous it was that she kept us focused on the prize, that she never, ever accepted the idea that since we had no money, college was out for us. You know, she saw college as the path to a better life. And so um, from, for as long as I can remember, she was drumming that message into my head that you're going to go to a college and you're going to graduate from mm-hmm. that college <laughs> and I'm going to be at that ceremony. And, um, you know, to hell with everybody who says that we don't, we're not those kind of people. We're talking about The Tender Bar, the memoir, and now film. I'm speaking with J.R. Moringer. So the male influences in your life came from these, these men at the bar, specifically your uncle in the film played by Ben Affleck. And, and this Uncle Charlie, he's an autodidact. He's extremely well-read. There's a terrific visual in the, in the movie. I don't know if this happened in real life where he opens a door to a closet. It's just, it's just tons of books. that Clearly, he's read every one of them. Uh, what was something important that you wanted readers of your memoir and, and people who watch this film to know about Charlie? Well, um, he had a uh, tremendous swag. You know, he really had this, uh, this powerful confidence. Um, or he, I should say he exuded that, mm-hmm. you know, when in fact he was really quite shy um, and, and, and deeply insecure. Um, but he really, you know, he had this powerful mask, you know, when he was behind the bar and after hours. Um, and he was fiercely loyal to his, his nieces and nephews, just absolutely, you know, that we could do nothing wrong. Um, 
And I think that comes through in the film. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, that the power of that loyalty to know that there's a grown up who always has your back um, and um, and to feed off that confidence when you're an insecure, shy little kid. Uh, that's a great blessing. You know, that uh, I, I felt uh, at the time that it was like plugging into a power source to be around him. You know, I'd never seen anybody with that kind of you know, that kind of, mm-hmm. kind of confidence. And um, I never really saw anybody with that kind of command of language. He was such a great storyteller. Um, and it wasn't just the stories. It was also just the, the inflections, the kind of, he had a kind of theatrical quality, you know, um, which I always got a kick out of. Um, so I, I really wanted to convey some of that in the book. And, and I think Ben Affleck on his own um, manages to, to convey that. Let's listen to a clip. Here is Uncle Charlie telling JR how we'll always be honest with him. This is from The Tender Bar, the film. Okay, two rules. I'm never going to let you win, ever. If you beat me, you know you beat me, fair and square, but I never let you win. And I'm going to always tell you the truth. I saw you in the yard playing sports. You're not very good. And probably not going to get a whole lot better. So it might be wise for you in order to avoid tears and disappointment and above all delusion find some other activities that you like you know like uh, what do you like to do the most i like to read i also like to read i'm good at sports too (laughs) keeping it real there so it's sort of interesting also you know there's a there's a sense in the in the film about there are these guys at the bar sort of chosen family and they can't quote blake or chaucer but there are life lessons and they're people who are people that you want to sit and listen to, even if, even if it isn't necessarily quote unquote academic. What lessons did you learn from the regulars at the bar? I don't, I, you know, I don't know that I can boil it down to, to lessons I learned, you know, uh, bullet points. For me, it was really, uh, I felt this, this absence of uh, a man in my life, you know, a father mm-hmm. or father-like figure so, so acutely. And so it was just being in their presence. They were sure. good guys. They were solid guys. Um, uh, by and large, you know, men of their word. And, um, you know, they, they're very, very kind to me. They paid attention to me. They listened to me. Um, um, those few occasions when I would work up the nerve to talk. So it was, it was more being in their presence than anything, mm-hmm. than any lesson that I learned. Um, being able to go to the beach with them, that was such a big part of the ritual. It wasn't just being in the bar, but since most of these guys were, um, you know, <clears throat> cops who worked night shifts or bartenders or, you know, uh, or kind of sporadically employed, they had, they had their days free. And mm-hmm. so a lot of times they would take me to the beach. We'd spend, you know, the morning and early afternoon at the beach and just sitting and watching them in a circle talking about the events of the day or their lives, that just that, en- that, that energy um, was the thing that I took away from them. Yeah. Uh, also though, the, a lesson learned could be you show up, you be there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's very true. I mean, they did, they, they showed up for me, you know, I mean, I would, um, I knew them for the time I was very young, but then when I, when I went off to college, when I would come home, and walk into that bar, that, that feeling of, you know, hearing my name called out 
uh, getting an arm put over my shoulder, uh, being asked how it was going in college, you know, if, and I, if I had problems in college, being encouraged. Yeah, they did show up for me in a, in a way that, you know, my father um, so incredibly did not. You know, I mean, he was, he was AWOL, and they were, they were present, and it, it really boiled down to that. My guest is J.R. Moringer. We're talking about his memoir and the film adaptation of his memoir, The Tender Bar. When did you first consider having having your memoir adapted into the film form, and and what kind of what kind of questions did you ask yourself about that? Yeah, well, I mean, when the book came out, there was interest, and um, you know, it 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 took that that journey that so many so many books, so many projects in Hollywood take. You know, it was. It, First it was with this person, and then it was with that person, and then there was a script, and then the script disappeared, and then it was going to be, you know. So I I tuned it out, you know. I, I just didn't think about it. I I thought it probably would never happen because it usually doesn't happen. And so, uh, you know, when things picked up recently, I, I, I again, I really didn't pay attention until almost right before they, they started filming because it had come really close a number of times. Um, so... There's a, there's a feeling when it finally happens of being <laughs> caught by surprise, even though mm-hmm. it's been kind of brewing for years. Um, it just, uh, it was, I trained myself to kind of not think about it. Was there anything that you, did you have conversations with William Monaghan who wrote it or with Clooney or any of the, the creative team, things that you just really wanted them to know and understand? No, I, you know, they, and again, as so That's often happens, leap. they, What's that? That's a big leap for you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, you really have to make the decision when you when you give your book to yeah. to others to interpret. You know, um, what's this going to be like when they have a very different interpretation? Um, and you have to come to terms with that early on. Um, and I'd been through that once before. I had a story that I wrote. Um, about a relationship I had with a homeless boxer mm-hmm. turned into a film and it, yeah. and it wound up being a very different story. So I, you know, I'd had, I'd had this happen once before. I, I knew what the experience was like. Um, my, my only hope was that a film would, you know, renew interest in the book. Um, cause I'm always, uh, excited to have, you know, people make the acquaintance of my mom, and my mm-hmm. uncle Charlie. That's for me, that's the bottom line. So, um, I knew it was going to be very different, and it is very different, and, you know, um, that's a little disorienting um, to sit in the theater and see one minute it's exactly your life, and the next minute it's so not your life, um, and so not your book, but but that's the deal. Um, it's not based on my book, it's inspired by my book, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I, I'm already hearing from you know, cousins, people in Manhattan, Long Island, who are noticing differences, and you know, trying. I'm trying to talk them through that because I've already made my peace with that. What is something in the film, though, that did is spot on for people when they that see is it? spot on? Yeah. Well, I think that uh, Lily captures, you know, that f- the fierceness of my mom, mm. and and at the same time, her her fragility. You know, there's a there's an intensity because she knows that we're right on the edge. Um, and again, you know, my, my uncle's confidence, I think Ben, without, you know, any coaching from me, he just, he, he got that and, um, he exudes that. Um, so I do feel like that's, that's spot on. And, and, um, you know, the, the scene when, um, I, I do get into college, 
um, it's a scene in the book. It's a scene in the book that I used to read when I, you know, would mm-hmm. go around the country and, and uh, on book tours. And then I had to stop reading it because I would get emotional <laughs> reading about my mom and I getting that letter. Uh, it was just, uh, it, it kind of wrecked me every time I read it. And so I thought, it, you know, it had been so long since I'd read it. The movie was different. Uh, so I, I, you know, I was so brave sitting through the scene. And then it got, the scene got me again watching the movie. So Everybody. I do think... Yeah. I do think that that moment where, you know, the impossible happened and, it's, it's a, uh, it's and an we emo- got... Yeah, it's an emotional scene. The name of the film and the book, The Tender Bar, the film inspired by the book. The author is J.R. Moringer. J.R., thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for having me. And that is all of it for this hour. I'm Allison Stewart. I will meet you right back here after the news.